Welcome to another episode of Axe of the Blood God, an independent RPG podcast. I'm your host, Cap Bailey, coming to you from beautiful Los Angeles, California. And joining me, as always, is my lovely co-host, Nadia Oxford. Who are you, Cap Bailey, and what have you done to Cap Bailey? <laughs> <laughs> it's my uh, Jedi clone uh, from the Star Wars Expanded Universe. Do, yeah, do like uh, Luke, Luke with the two U's. Luke. Yeah, Cap Blaley. <laughs> also joining me is Eric Van Allen. Cap Blaley is the gamer cat, as we can see from the new lights and, and stream going on in the background. Cat has become a gamer. Truly, Cat Blaley is the gamer. And finally, joining us is returning guest and our best pal, Len Hafer. Oh, I'm your best pal now? That's oh, that's yeah. quite You're an welcome. honor. Have flattery. Yeah, thank you. We have a lot to cover in this week's episode. We brought you on, Len, because we're going to be wrapping up the PC RPG quest that's been going on for a little while now with the 2010s, the great convergence. We're also going to be talking about ports, 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 and more ports as we cover the Nintendo Direct Mini that happened last week. And there's lots more to cover, including Summer Games, Done Quick, which is happening still now, and the Live Alive demo, which both Nadia and Eric have been playing. But first, if you enjoy the show, please do us a favor and leave a score or review on the podcatcher of your choice. Really appreciate it. And it also uh, improves the visibility of the podcast. You can find me on Twitter at the underscore catbot. Nadia is at Nadia Oxford. Eric is at Simosi, S-E-A-M-O-O-S-I. And Len, since you're a special guest, go ahead and promote some things really quickly. Uh, yeah, I'm Till Folkfong on Twitter. That's T-I-L-F-O-L-K-V-A-N-G. Uh, always very easy to spell. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I do uh, I do a lot of writing for IGN. Um, you can find my reviews and stuff over there. And uh, I also uh, produce... And sometimes host a podcast called Three Moves Ahead, which is about strategy games. And that one is at 3MA on Twitter, which is the opposite of my personal handle because it's very easy to find. <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, 3MA is basically a sibling podcast to Axe of the Blood God. Very mm-hmm. similar energy. It kind opinion. of is. It kind sure. of yeah. is, yeah. I miss being a guest on there. It was so, so long ago. I should I should really be a guest again. Oh, hey, let me know what strategy games you're playing because I book most of the guests now. So That's the problem. I yeah. haven't really had one quite <laughs> as engaging as the Nobunaga Pokemon. So if they make yeah. another one of those, I'll be there. Understandable, yeah. We have a lot happening in the wonderful world of Axe of the Blood God in the sunny month of July. A big one is on July 9th and 10th, we will be hosting a special charity stream That will be on 12 hours on Saturday and 12 hours on Sunday. There will be a live episode of Acts of the Blood God recorded on Saturday morning, 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern. So our European friends can join us. We are also going to be doing a live special on July 10th with special guests in which we will be ranking the greatest casts in RPG history. And there's so many streaming events happening over the course of that weekend, including my Nuzlocke run Revenge against Morty, (laughs) in which we will have special guests like Rebecca Valentine and Callie Plaguey and Casey DeFridis from IGN. 
We're also going to be doing a, I'm going to be playing Jackbox. We're going to be doing a Final Fantasy 14 near, uh, near raids. Uh, what else is happening, Eric? There's a lot happening during this whole thing. Yeah. So I, this has been going on behind the scenes for a while. Y'all probably heard if you're a star of destiny, you've heard us kind of chat about it in some of the pre and post show. Um, 12 hours each day, uh, streaming live, uh, twitch.tv slash blood pod. Go ahead and subscribe to that. Now, if you want to make sure you get the notification when we go live, uh, and yeah, we've got the, the two recordings to start off each day. We figured putting it, uh, right, right there at the beginning of the day is going to make it easy for everybody to tune in, especially we, we know y'all over in the, the European time zones and stuff. Always a little bit bummed that you missed some of the recordings. So yeah. happy to, to do something for y'all. Uh, and it'll be it's open to everybody. So this is if you are listening to this and you are a free listener, you are a five dollar patron or something. This is your opportunity to see what our live recordings look like and get a glance at that. It's going to be a fun time. We've got the Nuzlocke run like uh, Kat talked about. We've got the Elden Ring bounty battle, which I'm very excited about. Where We're going to pit some people against each other, give them bounties uh to to finish an elden ring off of a new save file and see how far they can get and they'll get points for doing things like clearing a dungeon getting to the plateau felling market or even just doing very stupid things i was going to put some riddles in there that they might have to solve <laughs> for points wow so um, sounds amazing we're gonna have that we're gonna have fall guys we're gonna have uh we're some having TMNT. the dbg crew on yeah to do. yeah TMNT Shredder's Revenge Run. No special mm-hmm. attacks. It's going to be great. Oh, I'm going to lose so hard. I, I can't remember <laughs> my part of that, but if there's no special attacks, I'm you, dead. You are. You are part of it. <laughs> okay, Splinter um, and I will pull through. We'll find a way. Uh, but yeah, I mean, and, and as far as guests go, uh, we've got folks from all around the web. We've got some folks from some of your favorite sites. We got Easy Allies in here. We got Fanbyte in here. We got Prima Games in here, Waypoint, Giant Bomb, Uppercut Crit. We got folks from all over the web, friends and pals of the industry, hopping on to hang out and play along, play some games, raise some money, and it's all going benefiting uh, Trans Lifeline. So that is our chosen charity of choice. Uh, I think throughout this entire year, we've we've had a lot of uh, tough stuff go down and we we thought about what charity we wanted to benefit. And I think that it was a no brainer to to benefit Trans Lifeline. So uh, we'll be raising money throughout that. I might even throw some like, I don't know, ridiculous incentives in there. Uh, I on a previous charity stream, I once drank a whole glass of Dr. Pilk. Spiked what the hell is Dr. Pilk? Pilk? <laughs> which is you you mix milk, Dr. Pepper, Ew. and whiskey no. in a glass. We're not I doing found that. it on TikTok. It was terrible. That's it perverse. Was, I gotta get I, shut down. <laughs> when I was planning this and I, I ran this idea by friend of the show, Jesse Vitelli, who also was on that charity stream where I drank the spike Dr. Pilk. He was like, Eric, you need to make sure that whenever you do that, it needs to be the end of the stream because <laughs> You might die. If you, you might run and die. <laughs> so, the, um, we have to call the ambulance for Eric. That's all for tonight, everyone. Bye. Well, we might have some fun incentives on there like that or just other fun things we can do. We're working on that part right now. But uh, it's going to be a good time. It's going to be a good cause. A lot of fun games. And yeah, it's streaming content, too. This is a big first for Blood God. You know, we've we've streamed Raid Night and D&D and, and stuff like that here and there. But this is a big... Uh, entire weekend of doing all kinds of different video games and and chatting on the Twitch channel uh, 
And of course, the VODs will be up. The VODs will be prepared and saved. So uh, this time, yeah, yes. Yeah. Look, look, we had to get that one out of the way early. <laughs> so. We have uh, an incentive where I or I just like take a handful of edibles and eat them and see what happens. It's legal here. So I think it's legal on the stream. <laughs> Didn't they That's like really accidentally just they, really high on edibles? These they shit. accidentally just legalized those in Minnesota. So, you know, oh, <laughs> that's only when and where double edibles My homeland. Fun. Let's go cooking yeah. with edibles. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, no, tune in. It'll be a good time. It starts uh, July 9th, 8 a.m. Pacific time uh, and the same time the next day, a uh, whole weekend of just having a blast and, and raising cash. So twitch.tv slash blood God pod. We have other things happening as well on our Patreon, patreon.com slash bloodgodpod, including a Dragon Quest Eleven Pantheon with our old pal Ash Paulson is coming along. And the Pantheon vote is open now. And this month is Mecha Month because it's the Summer of Gundam. And we have four great mecha-themed RPGs, Xenogears, 13 Sentinels, Sakura Wars, and Super Robot Wars. I want to put in Front Mission, but we're waiting for the remake. So just mm-hmm. sit tight mm-hmm. on that one. We'll be Last back. time I saw it was neck and neck. How are things going now with 13 Sentinels and... Uh... Xenogears and 13 Sentinels. Uh, Xenogears currently pulling ahead. I believe it's 42 mm-hmm. for Xenogears. 13 Sentinels uh, has like 36. I am personally pulling for... I, I, wa- I want to say 13 Sentinels because I was third time to charm. Uh, it's a bit shorter. Xenogears is a big undertaking and it would be the third Squaresoft RPG um in a row that is true yeah but i mean at the same time what better pick for mecha month is that's true as well right it is the it is the it's the er example of the mecha rpg is there any way to play it other than emulation in this day and age your playstation vita the playstation vita yeah theoretically yeah yeah cool cool i can grab it there then yeah so uh sorry super robot wars and sakura wars i i think that you're gonna you're going to be out of luck this month. We tried. We tried. Honestly. Pour one yeah. out for Vic, you know. <laughs> he did try. Yeah. All right. Pouring one out for you, Vic. All of our Pantheon episodes are available to our $10 listeners and above. Finally, we have our Stars of Destiny with us this week for our live recording and our post show that happens every single week. And this week, we got a really good crowd. We're joined by Abby of the Moon, Amy, Zixa, Beware the Slimes, Dragons, Pogchamp, Not Hollow, Mango Alts. Ruka, Spirus, VV Complex, and Zubat, man. Thank you so much for your support. And thank you so much to all of our patrons for uh, donating to the show. It keeps the show going. It makes it all happen. And this show just keeps getting bigger. And it's so much fun to watch it all happen. Okay. Now it's time to talk about our sacrifices to the Blood God and what we have been playing. And Len, you're a special guest. We'll start with you. Yeah, well, it's funny because the the last regular episode I was on was the the isometric RPGs episode where I listed off all of the isometric RPGs I have never finished, uh, one of them being Wasteland 2. And within the last week, I started a new file on Wasteland 2. That's amazing. Because I was just thinking about like, yeah, I was really vibing with that game. And it was just like a progress bug that that killed my run. So it's like enough time has passed that I think I've appropriately put the 35 hours I put wow. into that file behind me and uh, I was ready to start start again. So uh, I started playing that. Um, Non-RPG-wise, I've been on a big city skylines binge. 
Um, I kind of dove into a hole when I discovered modding that game. Oh, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, then as I was coming down off of that and I needed something a lot less complex, I actually started playing Hollow Knight for the first time, which is a good if you're burned out on complex games, that's a great little one to jump into. That is the opposite here. <laughs> it's, it's very straightforward and does not require a lot of um, logistics. Mm. So, so I brought my steam deck with me to LA with, I was like, it'll be great. I'll plug my steam deck into the TV and I'll play some hollow Knight, And it's going to be perfect. And this is what I've had to deal with. I connected to the Wi-Fi. And it instantly drained the battery and turned wow. off. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. Oh, dear. I finally got Hollow Knight running. And when I got Hollow Knight running, I couldn't find my save, even though it said the Steam Cloud was up to date. I got my housemate to go on the computer and like check that everything was properly uploaded. I couldn't figure out what was going on. I had to go through a whole bunch of different like options to get it running. But then the battery kept dying on me. Really? Like turning off. It was like wow. really huh. crazy. My my Steam Deck absolutely hated being taken out of my house. So <laughs> I, as a, as a temper. <laughs> I've, I've, I've yet to successfully actually been able to play it here on my trip. Uh, it's been charging all day since last night. So maybe the battery is finally ready to go and I can like have a crack at properly playing Hollow Knight. But at this point, I'm just like, seriously, I just wish I owned it on Nintendo Switch. God. <laughs> I maybe have a bum battery that I guess is possible. I think this is a common thing with Steam Decks. It's hmm. It's got a real, like, especially depending on what your power settings are, it can drain that battery very, very Instantly. Fast. I, I like, guess yeah. instantly. I mean, yeah. if you think about it, Switch games are optimized for the Switch most of the time. So people kind of build their games with the battery, you know, in their head or like they think about it. But the Steam Deck, apparently, I guess it's just like, here's a PC game. It's going to act the way it's going to act on a, you know, a handheld system. Yeah, that's interesting because I know I've, I've run into issues with certain Steam games just on a desktop where they will, um, like, they'll, they'll, they'll spin up my video card like way faster than it should be for, you know, the graphical... Mm-hmm. Look of that particular game. I wonder what if that's what's happening, and that's why it's draining the battery so fast. If it's just like mm-hmm. an optimization issue, but yeah, is it verified? Is Hollow Knight oh, yeah. verified? Yeah, Hollow Knight's verified. Really? Huh. Yeah, oh, and Super really Robot weird. Wars. When I plug it into the TV, it's really slow. It's mm-hmm. really strange, and I'm like, well, I just gotten that on Switch and been able to play it way earlier <laughs> too. So I'm feeling a little frustrated right now with my uh, Steam Deck with this eight hundred dollar uh, purchase that I got. Mm-hmm. Parrish sold his, and he bought a whole bunch of retro stuff that looked really cool. But yeah, I'm not he, gonna lie, uh, I am like seriously considering just selling it because I'm like, uh, the stuff that I've really wanted to do with it um, so far, I've not materialized, and I don't care enough to tinker with it to do retro. That's that the kind thing. of thing. See, that's yeah. the path you could take. The path got, to the dark side. I've got side. most of the emulator stuff like in real life, so it's not like a big deal for me, you know. Hmm. It's, it's not that's enough fair. of a value add. I should right. say. Not enough to I want to install Windows so I can make all of this happen. So, yeah, we'll see. Um, I'm not ready to get rid of it yet because it does play some games that you can't play on Nintendo Switch. I understand, though. It's like so. you wanted the way what I wanted as well. It's something a little more ready to go out of the box the way a Switch yeah. is. Yeah. And you don't really get that with yet. Steam Deck. So mm-hmm. finicky. It's like the definition of a hobbyist device that you take. Right. With, but, uh, as for me, I've been playing a lot of Persona 3 Portable. Um I managed to get through a very long Tartarus run that included a couple of party wipes. 
uh, I'm on now on floor 40. Um, and then I finally got out of that, which thank God, cause it was hellish. It took me like basically all day. And then I got, and then the next day, like I just cruised through a whole bunch of days and now I'm up to like June 13th. So I'm still behind, but I should actually be able to get to where I am right now in like relatively short order. And so sit tight folks. We'll have a proper like get uh gecko this week in gecko Khan, but uh, uh Fuka Fuka yeah like mm-hmm, uh mm-hmm. the a new characters joined me we had a second full moon event um and I'm still really digging it for the most part and I like the flourishes um with the the feel, female MC and of course now Persona Three Portable is coming to the yeah, Nintendo Switch mm-hmm. so and PC yeah and PC. I'm very excited to finally play it because I have a couple friends who still say it's the best Persona game mm-hmm. and make fun of me for being such a big Persona 5 stand. Because oh, I get that all the time. For being, never for even Persona played 5. the superior Persona game, Persona 3. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit depressed because I did like kind of spoil the ending for myself because I was like, I'm never going to buy a PSP just to play one game. So I do know how it ends, but I'm hoping the journey will be cool enough that that won't really matter. Three is the definition of a vibes RPG. Like it is is so much about the vibes, even more than four or five was to me. Like three is if you just want to be like sad in a new city (laughs) as a new kid (laughs) and and you don't know anybody and you're like living in a weird hotel with a bunch of other sad kids and you're just like, man, what if we go kill demons at midnight. I just like, listen to AFI. That's the vibe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's it's an AFI music video is, is Persona <laughs> out of, 3. Out of all of them, it is definitely the the Scoobies, like the the Buffy the Vampire Slayer, but in Japanese That's what I've heard. Mm, yeah, 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 yeah. I've yeah. heard it's the most. It's, yeah. yeah, very Scooby-Doo JRPG is how I've heard it described. So, yeah. I So I think that if I were to recommend one of those three games to play, I would say to somebody, yeah, pick up Persona 3 Portable because Persona 5 and Persona 4 move at such a much slower clip. And Mm -hmm. Persona 3 just like has an energy to it uh, that I really enjoy. It's it just feels so much more efficient as an RPG. And then, uh, yeah, so we have our Dragon Quest 11 Pantheon recording on Monday. Yes, it's going to be fun. So I'm actually up to the Fortress of Fear now. So um, I I'm kind of like okay, maybe like I can actually do this and like finish off the game before uh, we do a recording. We'll see. Oh, Nadia, probably not, but that's okay. You have <laughs> you're doing really great, and we'll have you're a lot to great. talk about. But is this like Lord of the Rings, where like you they defeat Sauron, but then you have another hundred pages to go because they have to oh, still yeah. do the scouring of the Shire and stuff. You're doing like the scouring the Shire like twice over. Mm. It's gonna be it's a it's a long haul to basically. Um, this game is like the, the Lord of the Rings in RPG form. It is like it's it really is. And people get on tales about this. <laughs> I loved it. Uh, I'm sure we'll talk about it on Monday. But I'm actually still I- I'm playing it myself, and I'm actually getting to play it now as a not only someone playing it through, through for the second time but also doing the bonus content as a lifelong Dragon Quest fan, which is um, goes through the, uh, the... I told you about that last time, the Talkington uh, quest line that Eric thought had something to do with TikTok. But no, you're <laughs> yeah. basically going the back through these bite-sized adventures that are based on the past Dragon Quest games. And what you find in one adventure will help you in the next adventure. And so there's a lot of like just a... It's a whole like 
I hate to say the word love letter because it's so overused, but it's a love letter to, to retro Dragon Quest in like the most purest supreme way. And I'm really, I had a really great time just kind of doing that. And I still have a ton of it that I haven't done, but I stopped and I did what I had. And now I'm kind of, I think I'm following behind you, Kat. I'm going to Hato with a dragon. I think there was a dragon there and it got disturbing really fast, but I don't remember exactly how. I also hit a twist. I'm not going to spoil it. That like actually made me like was destroying me. I, I know was the one you're talking the about. Game club. I was just like, oh my god, I I can't believe they did that. Yeah, I yeah. cannot believe they did that. I was really genuinely upset. I was. I, we'll talk about it in the Pantheon episode because I, I went through the same thing <laughs> recently too, and it's like I remembered like what a great scene it was. But yeah, we'll go through it. Yeah. Um, Nadia, you're also playing the live live demo. I am. I've only just started it, so I can't really talk a whole whole bunch about it. But I, um, yeah, I actually played Live Alive for some reason. I was on the Retronauts podcast for it, and that was cool. I have to say, I think Vic was on that episode, and I, so I wasn't sure what to expect from the demo because I was kind of like very confused about what I played of Live Alive back in the day. Mm. But I think the demo, uh, sorry, and the three D remake, three uh, D HD remake, is um, much better suited for what it wants to convey, what the game wants to convey. It seems like a lot more orderly, a lot more easier to get into. Mm-hmm. I started with the ninja chapter and yeah. I've come to, I'm starting to now really get a hold of the battle system and appreciating what it is. So it's, it's kind of like a combination of like active strategy and, mm-hmm. and, and action and turn-based. It's, you probably like it, Cat. actually thinking about it. It's almost like Final Fantasy VII Remake before there was Final Fantasy VII Remake, but it's... Oh, I- over on NBC, um, my boss, Per Schneider, is all in on Live Alive. Like he's yeah. mm-hmm. like one of the biggest Live Alive stands ever. I'm I'm actually tempted to get him on this show just to talk about Live Alive if if he would be willing to come on. But it, um, it's like when I first heard they were giving this a 2D HD remake, I said, Okay, that's an interesting choice, I suppose. But now I really appreciate, okay, this is a weird, different RPG, and I'm actually glad they took the effort to make this a little more accessible and to make it, you know, that give that real pop so to speak so so far i'm actually quite impressed by it and um if i hopefully get through the demo i will certainly buy the full thing and it transfers so bob's your uncle yeah eric you're also playing it yeah uh i i'm coming at it from somebody who i've played a lot of games that i've been told are similar to live alive and if i like you know octopath or things like that or at least the things i liked about octopath uh were done well in live alive as well and so playing the demo i went in and i was basically like okay you know time to finally see what's up with this thing and i i almost feel like the people who like this game do it an injustice by the way they they present it because yes it's eight different stories that all kind of intersect and and create this finale at the end the same way that octopath was that's cool that's novel that's interesting like this I don't know, Canterbury Tales approach to RPG is kind of neat. But I think what is actually really interesting and what grabbed me about Live Alive and why the demo has completely sold me on it as well is how each game is also this discrete concept for an RPG. So like the 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 Edo period uh, ninja section that you're playing, you are a ninja trying to infiltrate uh, a castle and kill the ruler before he can basically wage war on Japan and kill everybody in his lust for conquest. Imagine you made a Metal Gear Solid RPG and that's what this is. 
like you quite literally have to make decisions about whether you're going to hide in cover and sneak by guards or fight them. And every time you fight them and kill them, uh, your your protagonist is like, I have taken four lives. Yes, and there is a there is a tally. It's like very somber. Every time you kill someone, and all the enemies are named too. It's like really cool. It's all this stuff was in there, and I was going like. Are you kidding me? This is what Live Alive was doing on the Super Nintendo and people weren't like ranting and raving about this. Like this is incredible. And then you go to the Imperial China arc and you're playing this this master of Kung Fu. Um, I, for, I think Earthen Heart Shifu is his name. Um, and he is he's a god already like he he can take anybody down but his story is he wants to get disciples because he knows that no matter how strong he is he's gonna die that's just the nature of the world and so he wants to make sure his arts are passed on so you actually go around recruiting different disciples and then taking them into battle and you have to make really interesting choices about okay do I take this enemy down using my superpowered Shifu, who is barely getting experience from this fight and already has a plethora of special moves to use? Or do I let these rookies get in who will die fighting <laughs> this tiger if I don't micromanage them? But they need experience. They need to get stronger. It's it's you it's have very this, retro fire emblem almost. Yeah, it's these two uh, sections do such a good job of turning narrative into gameplay and gameplay into narrative and feeding that loop so well that I'm just sitting here going like, this is incredible. This is so good. And then I will say the distant future was the one that probably did not latch with me the most out of what I've played. It is much more, I mean, the vibes are certainly very good. You are in this uh, ship, you're playing a robot that has been, you know, you're an AI helper and there's kind of a, space mutiny slash alien like alien one vibe going on where like people have different conflicting views of each other and there's there's this military corpo guy off in the corner like uh these scientists in their uh endeavors I'm here to do <laughs> military corpo things. And and you just know he's going to throw somebody out of an airlock at some point. Like that's it, it, it's all about the narrative tension in that one. And so I guess in that way, the fact that there isn't a lot of badlings so far from what I played of it is really interesting. But uh, all of it put together is just like, yes, it's an anthology that will eventually link together. But all of these discrete sections are so cool. And, and they're all these really interesting ideas for an RPG. And they do have links together. The combat system is is basically you have like a, a grid and everybody has an ATB that's ticking up over time. And when it maxes out, you can mm-hmm. act. And so there's like a level of trying to position yourself, then also waiting for an enemy to approach you. So like you can kind of like pause for a moment and let the enemy move. So now they're in range of one of your grid moves. Whereas before you might have to like move into their range and put yourself at risk. It's, it's a very, it it feels natural once you get the hang of it. And yeah, this, this game rules, this game owns and y'all haven't been telling me the right way about why it owns. So I'm here (laughs) to tell you why it owns and that live alive is very much on my radar for July. It's fantastic. I think I'm sold at this point. That's what I'm here to do. Yeah, (laughs) I had heard people were excited about it, but I also kind of like what you just described. I didn't understand Mm -hmm. why they were excited about it. 
but that's a pretty that's a pretty strong pitch there. So. I like that it's not just a port. I like that it's a yes, HD two D yeah. remake. Yeah. So it makes it, it looks feel gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Looks so a lot good. more fresh uh, than it would have otherwise. Um, apparently, the Square Enix president was pushing for more of those, and honestly, I'm with them. I think they're right. So mm-hmm. it'll be out July twenty second, and we will talk a lot more about it on Axe of the Blood God. But now it's time for a series of random encounters. Monster Hunter Rise Sunbreak reviews are here, and by and large, they're a little bit lukewarm. They say that it's not quite as meaty as Iceborne, and it has a lot of grinding, but it also has a lot of quality of life improvements. When I get a chance, I'll talk more about my experience with the Monster Hunter Rise Sunbreak DLC. Uh, The Final Fantasy XIV patch, the next one will feature an island farming sim. It is now possible to finish KOTOR 2 on Switch. Sea of Stars has been delayed to 2023. Persona live action adaptations could be in the works. Star Ocean Divine Force will be out in October. And the Fallout London mod will be out in 2023. And there was a fresh trailer. Those uh, giant fan mods are really impressive. They Mm -hmm. just... uh, There's so much that fans are able to do in this uh, day and age. It's really impressive, but... Our top story is ports, ports, ports. Yes, we had a Nintendo Direct Mini earlier this week. It wasn't quite the Nintendo Direct that we wanted, but there was plenty of good news for RPG fans on the Nintendo Switch. It's all RPGs all the time. Oh, and the, time. the two Deluge. big ones. Uh, I mean, the biggest one, obviously, is after five years of waiting and going, I think it's going to happen. Persona 5 Royal. <laughs> Finally coming to the Nintendo Switch on October 21st. It's Persona 4 Golden and Persona 3 Portable to follow. And I guess I'm excited. I think I will probably play Persona 5 Royal on my Nintendo Switch next year. I'll do. I'll try and do a day-by-day run and get massively behind with that one just as I did with That's going to be a Portable. big undertaking. I don't know if I would do that, Cat. You'll kill yourself. Yeah, I, I still need <laughs> to finish the original first, so... Uh, but how are we feeling about Persona 5 Royal finally being on the Nintendo Switch? It's, oh, it's about time. Yeah. yeah. Joker was in Smash, so it was always kind of weird. And I know that they eventually brought P5 Strikers over. But having Persona on the Switch just makes sense. And honestly, of all three of them, I'm most excited for P3 Portable on the Switch. Just because now I know that it's not going to like disappear once the last Vita is destroyed on Earth. And, and the galaxy is so, at least. <laughs> um, I, I'm happy for that. Uh, but yeah, P5 Royal, if there's somehow someone out there who has been waiting to play Persona 5 until it comes to Switch, you know, I, I'm glad you finally got what you want. You you are the the toughest among us, the most mm-hmm. patient. I don't know what else to say. <laughs> you can tell that I I know I know several people, and I'm very excited for them. I mean, Persona Five Royal is is one of my top ten favorite games of mm-hmm. all time. It might be one of my top five. It probably is one of my top five favorite games of all time. And I'm just excited more people are going to get to play it on PC and Switch. Like, I honestly, I'm a little bit jealous of everybody who's going to get to experience yeah, that for the too, first time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I'm excited for myself about Persona 3 because I've never played Persona 3. I didn't own a PSP or a PS3, so. Um, or a PS2. Yeah, so. same here. PS, PS, yeah, PS4 was my first PlayStation oh, wow. console ever, so. Um, 
yeah and i've just i've heard it's really really good i've heard uh basically almost you know uh daring me to say that persona 5 is better yeah. than persona 3 once i've played them both so uh given that i liked persona 5 as much as i did i'm pretty excited if that if it's that you know close between them so i feel like atlas has just been champing at the bit to get this game out here finally just like (laughs) the Mm -hmm. the reveal of joker in smash that was like everyone was like holy crap here it comes here it comes oh it's smash that's still cool but where is (laughs) where is it Mm -hmm. and then uh strikers as you said eric was was out there which i never really latched on to with musos is really kid or miss for me and that was a miss so um i am in the middle of a run of persona 5 royal and i got stuck on the hamburger factory for a long long time and just didn't play it for a long time because i got frustrated <laughs> the finally factory. got out of the hamburger factory and this port comes by so i'm just do i want to continue on the playstation 5 or do i want to wait for the port? i'm totally up in the air i have no idea i might go for a handheld oh really my nice. god that's so much persona 5 Mm-hmm. It's like a once every decade kind of situation, like reading the the Lord of the Rings or something like that. I yeah, don't know. For yeah. sure, for sure. Sit down for a nice leisurely read of Ulysses, you know, as one does. I guess it feels like a big moment because we've always said, I think we've said this many times on this podcast, that Persona 4 Golden was amazing on the PlayStation Vita. Playing it portably feels like the best way to mm-hmm. enjoy this series. And yes, you could play it on the janky Steam Deck, but it coming over to the Nintendo Switch uh, feels like a homecoming that we've been waiting for for a long, long time. And I, for one, am excited to be sitting through one of those hour-long conversations of Persona 5 Royal, get bored, and turn off my Switch and go away for a while, come back, and have no idea what anybody is talking about. So I, I think it is really good to see Persona 5 Royal on the Nintendo Switch. But we also got Near Automata, another 2017 release, yes. 2017 Darley. And it's a native port too. It's not a cloud game, which is good because it's an action RPG. It would be, yeah, it'd be, be like bad. Kingdom Hearts if it were a cloud oof, game. Oof, but yeah. Near Automata on the Switch, uh, that's really awesome, actually. I'm looking forward to that most of all because I started it and I really enjoyed it. But uh, it just really is one of those games I would have gotten to a lot more if I had a chance to play it like on my Switch. So I'm glad I'll, I'll just start again and, and I'll probably have a great time. I'm cautious on this because like Nier Automata has had some bad ports and some issues before. That's true. So like I I would like to see it running a little bit, but if it runs decently well, yeah, sure. I'll play Nier Automata again. I'm ready to cry. Like, let's yeah. let's go. I, I would the, put Nier Automata in my top five all time. And all time. I, yeah. You know, I love wow. Nier Automata. Um, wow. Yo, we love, should do a pantheon of that game at some point. I love yeah, sad sure. robots being sad in the future and then somehow finding hope through the credits of a video game. <laughs> so Nakataro was always fascinating, but Nier Automata was when it finally like all clicked. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Thank you, Platinum. You're mm-hmm. the ones who made it all work, though. Uh, the Nier Replicant was apparently very good, too. Uh, the remake yeah, of the original. Yeah, Nier. yeah. yeah it, it was a good time. It, it made that game what it could have been should have been whatever you want to call it but i think i still like automata a little bit more uh it just has this like hope to it that i find very warming in these trying times uh carrying the weight of the world all that great soundtrack too uh-huh amazing and soundtrack and i love the vibes of that game it's gorgeous i feel mm-hmm. like 2017 was like a tipping point in so many ways for japanese games like mm-hmm. 
yeah, for Persona sure. Persona Five sure. Royal, Breath of the Wild, and Nier Automata oh, yeah. just all dominating. That was a real, a yeah, just like a real, like incredible it was year. A banger of a year, yeah. It felt like the current era truly began in 2017. Mm-hmm. Um, I have no particular evidence for that. Maybe it's just the fact that the Nintendo Switch came out. That I think that, it's a huge help. That, That's a huge that was big, the big reason. So that yeah, that was the year yeah. the Switch came out. That was the year PUBG came out. That was Good old PUBG. Yes. Uh, that was the year wow. of Doki Doki Literature Club of What Remains of Edith Finch of uh, shout outs to my favorite indie wow. uh, Battle Chef Brigade, which I want to know what that team is doing next. Uh, a lot of really really cool stuff came out in 2017. I, I recently went back to look at my Game of the Year list from that year and every single one of them is just an absolute wonder it's yeah so good totally agree and this was for nadia the Mega Man battle network legacy collection which yes. will be available in volume one and volume two uh, a common question that i get nadia is which one should you start with i mean i would the, the best ones are two and three i think and Two is off the rails because the I don't know what went on with the translation, but it's all just pretty well. There's been screenshots going around on Twitter since the announcement, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. Uh, look up Ash Paulson's uh, Twitter, you'll find it there. So the first one is certainly iconic, but I'm wondering what uh, quality of life improvements will be put in there because it is very much an early Game Boy Advance game with very similar looking corridors that are confusing to get through and have crazy, uh, crazy uh, random encounter rates. So that one might not be as enjoyable to play now. But two and three, I feel like it really kind of polished up the whole concept of Battle Network and uh, just made it into this really fun, tight package. Four, five, six are good. They really went through a, a weird franchise shift in in four, and I still don't know why exactly, but not a huge fan of four. I liked five, four, and six, four. It's kind of off-the-wall story um, where a grown man slaps land. That was pretty funny. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> I'd oh, it's start... it's a Gundam show. It's <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God, here comes Bright again. Here but, comes uh, Torque Slap Man. He's back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, two and three are good. Are good Watch out for him. He's American. <laughs> <laughs> the smiling blonde guy coming onto the ship, just cracking his palm. <laughs> no, the guy who slaps him is actually, um, well, he's named Barrel after like Barrel from from Mega Man Legends because that's the whole joke with the game is that there's like Iceman EXE and Mega Man EXE and Roll EXE and a really, really, really weird twist. At the end of the first game that I'm not even going to sh- share here because it's just one of those you got to read that for yourself moments. But yeah, it's uh, it's all it's a very, very fun series. It held up very well on its own for the time. Um, it, it really is a, a game that was formulated well for the Game Boy Advance. So, yeah, seems I think like uh, a, seems like a great choice for a Pantheon mini episode. It might do that. Ooh, yeah, it might or be a good. special. And actually, yeah, um, yeah. an episode of uh, Retronauts Repair, and I talked about. We just kind of, just the two of us, we had a, it had to be like a quick emergency episode. We just talked about Battle Network, and it was a fun episode. Go check it out over on Retronauts. And before we move on, uh, I would think we'd be remiss if we didn't mention Harvestella, which is basically <clears throat> Stardew yes. Valley meets Final Fantasy with a bit of Ruin Factory mixed in. It looks, I actually really love the vibes of it. It's, I, the art I was, style is yeah. terrific. Yeah, it looks really good, actually. Yeah, it's, this was my favorite announcement of the Direct. It looks so cool. It's, Everyone's doing their version of Stardew, right? They all looked at how successful Stardew was and 
everybody's like, why weren't we making one of those to begin mm-hmm. with? And uh, I think of all of them, there's like the Disney one that was also in that direct. And I'm kind of iffy on Disney, that one. Dreamland but... Adventure or whatever. Yeah, because they're not going to yeah. let you date Scar. So like what cowardly <laughs> ass. Why Scar? Yeah. <laughs> Because he has a good voice. Because everybody wants to to date date the lion. But uh, no, it's 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 straight up like they're not going to let you have social links with any of these characters. They're just going to be like, oh, go do fun activities with them. But like Square Enix, I already looked. They've got social links in this game. They at least know some of what the sickos want from this <laughs> Dragon's Bog Champ. I can't say that on the podcast, but that is very good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Story um, of my life. Um, <laughs> this is why you pay the 25 bucks a month, folks, for commentary like that. <laughs> um, uh, someone no, posted a gif and made it worse but yeah i <laughs> i agree with you eric i actually think that what i love most about this is like okay let's do our own stardew valley sure i love stardew valley let's let's do that and then they're like let's add the thread fall from pern so that everyone dies once a, mm-hmm. once a mm-hmm. year like okay yeah yeah that sounds really yeah. cool i'm down it, it looks like square enix does rune factory which i'm into because i like rune factory a lot rune factory for yeah. special is actually one that i've thought about putting forward for a pantheon at some point because i think it's a really good version of what if you tried to make an rpg out of harvest moon like an honest to god like full-on jrpg uh and i think harvest stella looks like it could be doing some of that with a lot of the classic trappings that you'd want from a square enix rpg of they've got some very uh some art that's very evocative of like amano and the East stuff Mm -hmm. and all that They've got combat. They've got a job system, which I'm very excited about being able to swap around jobs and master different abilities, like everything you would kind of want from that melding. And so it's coming out this year. It's in November. So like that's my fall settled. See y'all in December stuff coming out this fall. Yeah. Yeah. This this fall is looking pretty good. It's a a busier fall than I think we first anticipated. It's going to be like a lot of smaller games, but I think they're going to be good smaller games. So I think we will. We'll we won't starve. Starfield and Breath of the Wild 2 blinked and everybody was like, okay, jump in the vacuum. Jump in, go, 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 go. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I think it's going to be great for that reason. It'll be interesting to see if God of War 3 actually makes this year. Mm -hmm. Um, God of War 3. God of War 2. Oh no, I leaked a thing. (laughs) Cat Bailey accidentally leaked God of War 3. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if God of War 2 actually makes 2023 or 2022, I mean. Yeah, yeah. We I, shall see. It'll be interesting well, to see how the falls shapes up. But now it's time to move on to our main topic. And we've been doing this series for a while now, the PC RPG quest. We did the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, the 2000s. Now we're up into the 2010s, what I like to call the great convergence, when PC and consoles became, in many ways, virtually indistinguishable. One went to the other. Yes, there are games like Pathmaker, which are kind of defiantly PC RPGs still, Uh but so many of the most popular PC RPGs are also on console. But a lot happened in the 2010s, and it's worth wrapping up the PC RPG quest, which in so many ways was an exploration of the history of RPGs as a whole by talking about this past decade. That's why I brought Len on here um 
I said the last time we talked about 2000s was that they were how kind of they were the best of times and the blurst of times for RPGs. But now we have packaged games fully giving away to digital platforms, the rise of live service games, open world action adventure games merging with the narrative and mechanical depth of RPGs to give us Elden Ring and Witcher 3, indie RPGs making a bigger and bigger impact on PC, and much more. Len, what was kind of your take on the 2010s? It's really hard to encapsulate the whole decade. Like you could almost say, okay, RPGs in the 2010s, that's like my career basically. <laughs> yeah. Mine too. I started seriously. writing about games yeah. in in 2010 and you know, we're not that far out of it yet. So it feels like my whole professional life is kind of this topic uh, that we're on. Um, I think that, uh, you know, other than obviously, yeah, the, the sort of like convergence of action games and, and RPGs that you described, um, and the outline is definitely a big one. Um, I think it, uh, I, I tend to think of sort of the decline of Bioware and the rise of From Software as being kind of, if you wanted to pick who in, in the biopic about RPGs in the 2010s, the yeah. main characters would be, I'd probably pick those two. Bioware kind of on the decline uh, and From Software on the yeah, rise. Yeah, for sure. Um, and uh, it was also uh, the era of um, sort of the 90s start trying to come back, uh, which we talked about some on the isometric RPGs episode I was on, where uh, a lot of, a lot of, uh, legacy devs took to kickstarter and made stuff like pillars mm-hmm. of eternity mm-hmm. and stuff like shadow run returns and uh were fairly successful um i think at larian obviously was not a they they weren't like legacy people on kickstarter but i think uh you know the the original sin games were also that really was of kind of the, the era of kickstarter and people bringing their dreams back or, mm-hmm. or destroying them as in the case of mighty number no. nine but yeah that's yeah, how we yeah. got the continuation to so many of these classic uh computer RPGs to begin with a lot of them got pitched though but right. then never like took a while to come to fruition and and obviously like the the story of kickstarter is that you have a lot of these success stories and just as many mighty number nines yeah. out there um <laughs> yes. to the point that i i feel honestly at this point kickstarter is a rarity more than anything else i think what it really did was it showed that there is room in the space for the mid-level publishers for for publishers that cater explicitly towards um smaller projects and and going for almost filling in the void that existed as like triple a games became bigger and more expensive to make the the double a was kind of falling out from underneath them and good rpgs have always kind of existed in that weird double a space like when we were talking about the the 2000s and and black isle and troika and stuff like that it was it was kind of in that double a space and bioware as we talked about had their big surgeons for the first half of the 2010s and then you get like post inquisition post trespasser (laughs) i mean we had dragon age inquisition and mass effect 3 which were both excellent games but you could already feel bioware wobbling compared to the apex in their 2000s where they were just unstoppable. Yeah. I even think that the, the wobble even started with dragon age two for me. And I, I ended up really liking mass effect three, even though there was the ending controversy. Um, but I, I can't say how I, I probably can't say how I normally describe this, but let's say that, um, 
Dragon Age 2 is when I felt like the EA finger was really getting yeah. into the, the Bioware yeah, that's, so that's, the, that's the PG <laughs> the version PG of yeah. it. Um, <laughs> Tune in yeah, for the PG-13 version. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, where it, it didn't feel like it didn't feel like a classic PC RPG anymore. It was starting to become more of an action game. And I like I remember at the time I just hated the art style change mm. between uh, Dragon Age Origins and Dragon Age two where they they kind of turn it into this kind of very uh stylized almost manga thing versus sort of the gritty game of thronesy mm, art right. style yeah. of yeah, origins that, yeah. and um yeah and even in i was i wasn't even really a huge fan of of inquisition um so i i think that really 2010 is almost like a very clear point where where Bioware started to go downhill with with a, with a little peak for Mass Effect three because I do actually think Mass Effect three is a really good I, game. I think my my case with it is that like Dragon Age two, even as somebody who defends Dragon Age two and likes Dragon Age two a fair bit, like you can't you can't enjoy that game and not at least recognize that it was hamstrung by circumstance. Yeah, like yeah. Even, even the devs were mm-hmm. out there saying, "I've got the Bioware." history book behind me and it, it there's literally pages in there where they're talking about yeah no we had to make this thing in like no time and and turn it around and did yeah. not get to mm-hmm. like fully envision what we wanted to do um and i i will say like mass effect 2 is i would also put that in my top five of all time uh so that's like the outlier yeah. but yeah. i think even with mass effect 3 a game that i did like and i played the multiplayer the bejesus out of that multiplayer but the multiplayer was, I think, mm-hmm. the start of the wobble for me because that was <laughs> that was loot boxes. In case oh. anybody forgot, Mass Effect Three multiplayer yeah, right. had loot boxes, and I, I think arguably was one of the first major impl- implementations of loot boxes in the game. The whole monetization model around Mass Effect Three was kind of gnarly if you look back at it, and. I even love Dragon Age Inquisition and Trespasser, I think, is one of the best DLCs to a game I've ever played. But this Trespasser was really good. It it was they were constantly you could feel the the tug and and the push and the fight to make what they wanted to make while also capitulating to this looming giant overhead that was just smashing a button that said loot boxes (laughs) and money (laughs) cards. Um, and, And EA is still reeling from that in a way as their Twitter timeline might suggest they're still maybe going through it a little bit. Um, And all right. Yeah. Yeah. And and, uh, I I think it's like, as, as that kind of dipped away, it it was really interesting to see what studios popped up because like Larian, like a Phoenix out of the ashes of so many other things has now become honestly one of the most prominent, RPG developers in the world right now. And Baldur's Gate three is looking darn good. And I would mm-hmm. say that CD project red was also like the prince that rose from the ashes, but then, you know, cyberpunk happened and <laughs> it went back to sleep. Yeah. The and the was prince like, oh, was, was hoisted by his own. Batar. The prince that was promised. <laughs> the prince that was hoisted. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, it's a really interesting era and time because you just had so many, big names shooting up really fast and then something happens and the answer is triple a rpg development which became which has just become so expensive and so Mm -hmm. onerous this decade okay what's happened to starfield a game that wants to be absolutely enormous 
And Bethesda, they're no stranger to making games with this kind of scope. But even for them, they had to like step back and go, look, this, this game's not going to be ready in 2022. Seriously. So, and CD Projekt wanted Cyberpunk to be the everything game, as we saw. And, you know, they've gotten to a point where the game's actually okay now. But I mean, we've talked a lot about Cyberpunk 2077, though. When I look at CD Projekt, I think of uh, Obi-Wan yelling, you are the chosen one. <laughs> they but... might they, they might find their footing again. I think they will. They just uh, had to kind of fall to Earth yeah. and fly again. They'll find their way. Right, right. When I think of the when I think of the 2010s, I think of kind of a dueling dynamic between the rise of live service games, which were basically where everybody realized that RPG mechanics were the perfect foundation for forever games built on grinding and man- microtransactions from Destiny to Genshin Impact. Um, so I was recently reading about the Darth Vader comic book series in which Darth Vader builds his lightsaber. And apparently to build one of the red lightsabers, you have to corrupt the, the kyber crystal and make it shine red like blood. And that's what I feel like these live action games, these live service games are doing, is corrupting the RPG mechanics, corrupting grinding, so that people will be forever spending money. It's actually kind of horrible, but... Uh, but then there's the other dynamic in which you have wonderful indie RPGs coming out over the past decade, uh, including Y2K and Undertale and Omori now. So uh, I, I find that dynamic really interesting, actually. I don't know if I'd lump Y2K in there. No, I would that, definitely not. If I'm thinking of the same Y2K, I would not put anywhere near an, Undertale. It's some weirdness to it, but um, that's... Uh, very popular. People still love it. People don't like it. People Why, hate Y2K? it. People despise it. I'm not. You might be thinking of another I, RPG. There are, there are deaf Y2K fans out there. I'm sure there are, but there are yeah, not a lot the, of them. The person who made Y2K is still standing behind it, and then everybody else is like, nah, nah. <laughs> um, Fair I, enough. I, I think for for indie RPGs, you, you definitely look at things like Undertale for sure. Yeah. But I mean, I it's really fortunate that we did our excellent RPG maker episode. Uh, and I don't call it excellent out of narcissism. I say that because VV Complex was on here, did a great job uh, breaking down all the RPG maker stuff. Uh, and that really is like the story of where indie RPGs rose up from in this place is like, RPG maker was was awesome. Uh, game maker became very popular. Tools became much more readily available. And I think just as important, digital distribution was becoming more popular. Right. And right. so like we talked about it a little bit in the 2000s to 2010s, but like digital distribution has fundamentally changed the way people buy video games nowadays, especially on PC more than consoles ever. But PC like you don't build PCs with disk drives in them anymore. Uh, Why would you? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And uh, it's Steam, Itch, uh, GOG, all these distribution platforms make it super easy to not just uh, put games out there, but put them out there and get a decent fund back and not have to worry about all the costs that go into things like printing and getting them out to distributors and distributor cuts. You just have the cut that whatever the storefront takes and that's it. Uh, and that's another story for another day that we, we would talk about in an in indie specific special. But so many new and interesting ideas popped up in the space because of that. And they're still popping up. We have games popping up nowadays all the time. Like, um, I think 
was Symphony of War the one that the Discord really latched onto recently? The one that is like vaguely Fire Emblemy. Someone in Stars of Destiny chat will say that to me. Um, but it's it, it invented this new avenue for games to get so much larger. Uh, online just became like digital became so yeah. prevalent. I think the example of the indie RPG that made it big in the 2010s was Disco Elysium, a game that I don't think could have happened in the 2000s. Yeah, I, Disco Elysium is incredible for so many reasons because, mm-hmm. I mean, I think it was also emblematic of this, like looking back to older school RPGs and and looking back to things like Planescape, looking back to Baldur's Gate. I mean, Larian did the same thing. Larian tapped into a very similar desire. Even things like Pillars of Eternity were kind of tapping back into that nostalgia and that desire to have this isometric RPG with the production that you could do nowadays. Yeah, a lot of it was like driven by a reaction to kind of the the loot boxification and the live service vocation, I think. Um both in terms of, you know, bringing back the those sort of classic 90s-style isometric RPGs, but I also think that that also contributed to uh why i think like the dark souls series got mm-hmm. so popular because it was seen as for one thing you buy it and you get everything they did eventually add you know uh, add uh, some dlc in there but also it, like a lot of the initial popularity of that was driven by like this is going back to an era before video games were like super commodified and they were supposed to be super accessible which created some toxic like community stuff for a while there at least um but also just the idea that like oh this is not a mass market game that is meant for everybody and it's gonna be kind of weird and off-putting um you know i think you could say that you know, even dark souls or even undertale maybe benefited a little bit from that perception mm-hmm. Also, just word of mouth, like being able having platforms like yeah. Twitter and yeah. stuff to to spread news yeah. around and reach a much larger audience through that stuff. Tumblr, honestly, like yeah, Tumblr is a big one. Yeah, are you kidding me? Like again, shouts to Super Eye Patch Wolf who had a great video on the fandom of Undertale and how that spread Undertale to everywhere through YouTube and fan animations and stuff like that. Like, uh, there, you you also can't. Uh, uh, underemphasize the importance of fan communities, blogs, Twitter, Tumblr, all that stuff during this time because it was spreading this information uh, so much farther. Yeah. And also, when I think of the 2010s, I think of... I think of... We, we, we talked about how in the 2000s, we had so many games going from console or to from PC to console from for the very first time. The 2010s was interesting because we had console RPGs going to PC, mm-hmm. including PC console RPGs that you would never have expected to ever make it their way to the PC, like Persona 4 Golden, for example. I mean, like goes back to like 2010 when Xseed started putting. Uh, various games, uh, various games like Ease, uh, Ojin yeah. Pogana on PC and Ease Origins, and they did really, really well. And everybody went, "Oh, I, people want to play Japanese games on." Yeah, on there was Steam. a time when it, it mm-hmm. really was just like um, 
Falcom putting their stuff on because of course they've always been mm -hmm. their whole roots was in computers. But that was where I discovered Ease. Like I, uh, Othin Felgana was Same. on there, and I, it's like, oh hey, this is actually really good. This is like Z the Zelda I, I wanted forever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, uh, Dark Souls coming to PC at all was kind of a fan driven sort of grassroots mm. thing where people demanded it and for then it so was bad they finally, yeah and then yeah. It, it was not great when everyone first. learned it the really name Durante. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah um, uh-huh so yeah i think it's also worth pointing out during this time that blizzard was just going through it oh. <laughs> with a capital i uh, it's um, <laughs> yes it's sure. it's weird to go from mm. the 20 like 2010 into like 2020 in the world of warcraft <sighs> and 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 diablo and just such a different tune i mean diablo 3 the story of the the real world auction house and all that like oh, right. what i was in the room when they was. announced that oh, oh where are and you yeah, I was. Yeah. I was at the Diablo 3 preview event in 2011 uh, on the Blizzard campus. And I was there when Mike Morheim said, we're doing the real world auction house. And everybody like audibly went, what? <laughs> like, <laughs> A wave of confusion just washed we over were, the place. Everybody was peppering him with questions. And he was like, going, no, it's going to work. Trust me. <laughs> it's going to be great. Oh. You hold on there. So you yeah. have a token. And what that token represents. <laughs> um it's I I mean it was stupid and everybody knew it was stupid and sure enough Blizzard like totally backed off it at a certain point and went okay like all of our big ideas for Diablo three were a failure. My my memory of that time was my group that had been playing Dota at that point because the Dota beta was was out around like 2011 I think 2012, um, and they all half of them left to go play while wow, we lost two people from the Discord when I said the word Dota. <laughs> 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 um diablo uh came out and they went to go play it and all they talked about was just grinding for real world auction money and and making their money back and then some on the real world auction house and i was like this sounds like a, a grift this sounds like not yeah. great this sounds yeah. like i don't hmm. wait so you're like logging and the way they talked about it, they're just like oh i want to play dota right now but i really gotta grind so i can sell more stuff on the auction house i was like dude that sounds like a job that it's doesn't dark. sound it doesn't sound yeah. fun for you yeah. and uh yeah i think reaper of souls and the eventual when it came to consoles was when i finally picked diablo 3 up and and really gave it a try because the real world auction house stuff scared me off and i liked Diablo three when I played it on consoles quite a bit. It was it was a good time. Yeah, once they but, released Reaper of Souls and also the the completely redid the end game, mm -hmm. completely redid the loot system, yeah, got rid yeah. of all of the like stupid ideas that they had originally conceived, then Diablo three turned out to be a pretty good game. <laughs> it was a pretty all right game. Um, yeah. It it was. If you pick it up today, I think it's very enjoyable. It's you know, it's probably worth, yeah, whatever, twenty, thirty bucks. It is now, but it, so. they just tarnished Diablo yeah. forever because of it. And now, you know, what could they possibly do that could tarnish the Diablo name further? You know, you can't begin to fail. That was fine. Right? Yeah. <laughs> it's rock solid. yeah, at least that was the low point. Uh, Diablo yeah. Immortal is a real is a real low point for the series. Oh my gosh. <laughs> at and least we and hit frankly, the ball by this crevasse. <laughs> and I, admittedly, this is like 2020s stuff, but Oh my gosh, how much lower can Blizzard go at this point? Like limbo extreme fully, here going fully on. Embraced, <sighs> fully embraced. Predatory free-to-play model. Overwatch mm -hmm. 2. Like, what is Overwatch 2 gonna look like? 
I was disappointed to, because it's know. like, hey, cool. Here's a game in Toronto. Oh, it's going to be complete trash. I'm so mad right now. <laughs> I will say I've been playing the Overwatch 2 beta for the last couple nights because it's been open and I'm having fun, but it is 100% just a patch for Overwatch 1 and this is 100% on them like trying I to mean, market it as this big overhaul and then not making I mean, it that. We don't need is. to make this. Going, going free to play is a big deal. Honestly. It is a big deal, honestly. Yeah, but I, and going I, to the battle pass model, getting getting rid of the loot boxes, in many ways, overhauling a lot of the gameplay and everything. Like it is a big change. But but to swing too. this back around to, sure. to discuss because it doesn't need to be an Overwatch podcast that can be post show. Um, yeah, the uh, Blizzard at this time, even World of Warcraft starts to falter, yeah. and then in comes a little underdog named Final Fantasy fourteen. Hey, it's been down on its luck, too. It's been down the crevasse. It knows what the crevasse looks like. But a little guy named Yoshi P is going to come up and carry that thing out of the crevasse, kicking and punching and swinging. And turns out that the WoW killer all along was just WoW itself. But uh, it's... <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was really yeah. the the fall and the rise again of fourteen because it fell hard. And, but then Heaven's Word was 2015, and it was really great. So I was there when Yoshi P was going around promoting uh, A Realm Reborn and talking about like his influences by World of Warcraft and how they had learned all the lessons and how he was a big fan of the Final Fantasy games and saying, we will not allow a Final Fantasy game to fail. Mm-hmm. Like Final Fantasy will be reborn. And fair credit by to him. Hand. He was right. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's incredible. And and like as WoW was declining, you had 14 on the other side having this massive resurgence. And I don't want to say that like one directly affected the other, but it was hard to look at how successful 14 became expansion over expansion and then look at WoW getting like faltering with every expansion and just running into walls over and over again and not like have it sting all that much more, right? Just have it hurt a little bit more that every time it was like, oh, this WoW expansion isn't really what players wanted. It's not doing the things that they're looking for. And 14's doing great. And then you had the great, you know, evacuation of WoW that has happened and and that we're currently at right now where 14's servers are shutting down because of how big the expansion launches are. And it's it's wild. As as somebody that loved Blizzard, that loved StarCraft and loved mm-hmm. Warcraft 3 and stayed very far away from World of Warcraft, uh, but uh, really loved what those early games were. It's so wild to see what they are nowadays. And yeah, it really yeah. is. Yeah. Well, I mean, like to, to, to get into a little bit more detail on it, like 2010 was Cataclysm, which I still think right. if you ask people what the worst WoW expansion is, you'll get one of maybe two or three answers, but Cataclysm was probably going to be near the top of the list. Um, it was just not well-received. Mists of Pandaria was right after that, which I think is one of the most underrated WoW expansions, but people were like, oh, Pandas I heard people being mad at the silly drunken pandas are great. That's one of my favorite Dota Honestly, heroes is the drunk panda. It was a bunch of edge lords. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's not. Well, it was, yeah, I think Samwise Didier might be the guy who championed the, the pandas. <laughs> the champion the, the of pandas. That's a, that's a title to yeah. carry into the afterlife. But then, uh, yeah, th- then they went right into Warlords of Draenor, which is probably one of the other names you'll hear come up if you ask people about the worst expansion. Legion kind of brought it back, and then Battle for Azeroth is the other most hated mm. expansion. 
Uh, so, so they kind of had like one good expansion and on one again, off again, yeah. divisive expansion, and then the three worst expansions probably. I don't know how people I are going to end up feeling about Shadowlands. The last expansion was received but... particularly well either. Not the least. It is something. To, I can't remember which no. character it was, but everyone Sylvanas. hated it. Did the elf. Sylvanas. Yeah. Sylvanas. Yeah. yeah. Right. They ruined yeah. Sylvanas. She was great. Like Sylvanas. <laughs> yeah. She was just Kerrigan. They just yeah. kept doing Kerrigan over and over again mm. in Warcraft Three. Pretty they much. Did in That's Starcraft their one, too. Yeah, their one storyline. Yeah. <laughs> like Starcraft too. The the entire story just ended up being the Kerrigan power hour, and then the was the Zell. <laughs> The Zell something, the the super alien Ur race. Zell Naga. Yeah. I always thought that was weird because I wanted them to be like the Naga from Warcraft. Like you just have the Slytherin yeah. dude with the trident come in and now he's fighting in Starcraft. That'd be rad. I'm into <laughs> if, that. If you can prevent me, if you can permit me a brief rant, Blizzard, stop redeeming Sylvanas and Kerrigan. I, there's a real power yeah. in these evil. women taking control of their own destiny and being between the quote-unquote good guys and the quote-unquote bad guys and having like actual power as opposed mm-hmm. to being quote-unquote redeemed right. and becoming these angelic figures like mm-hmm. come on mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. no i agree no yeah no i was i was i watched a really good video lately about uh why captain marvel was kind of unsatisfying mm-hmm. as a girl power yeah. movie and about how they just made her too perfect and i think that that is i was into captain i was into captain marvel as what Independence Day meets Top Gun with a couple of ladies. It's set <laughs> in the mid nineties. That's all that I wanted, works. honestly. Uh-huh. So it's got a blockbuster in it. Yeah. You know, that's you know symbol that's of the nineties. But I, I think point. it's yeah. I think it says something that like Kerrigan is most fondly remembered as the Queen of Blades, right? Not as not as right. like the angelic yeah. savior. Queen bitch of the universe. She's like, I'm going after I'm going after Arcturus. Yes. Queen, and that guy is gonna die. I am going pain. to like, that was the yeah. best part. I'm going of to her murder arc. the space yeah. southerner and his weird <laughs> like uh his his weird southern uh union and take them all down. Yeah. The weird yeah. confederacy. Uh-huh. Confederacy was the me, word I was looking he for. He left yeah. me to yeah. die, I mean, and now I'm back, Minsk. and I'm going to destroy uh-huh. them all. Yeah. She's great. Arcturus Minsk is basically Martin Sheen as Robert E. Lee in Gods and Generals. Like, oh, that I was thinking, I, I went to like Southern yeah. President Bartlett for some reason, and that was a really weird yeah. image. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Starcraft so. used to have a good story, then it didn't anymore. But. Uh. And now we come to the end of the 2010s and now it's 2022. So the 2010s have been over for a minute. You can go listen to our best RPGs. We could, we did a big retrospective of the 2010s. Um, and I think we picked all of the best RPGs and everything. It's in the back catalog somewhere. Go check it out. But somewhere in the back. Yeah. Somewhere in the back. Catalog. It's weird that we, it's weird that we didn't say Skyrim because they overmarked the 25th it the best RPG no- of all time. Some might Nobody say. Nobody even remembers that, uh, <laughs> like, in 2010, that was the RPG everyone was super excited about. And then... I think yeah. uh, I think so, Skyrim uh, yeah. is... It exemplifies the open world trend of the 2010s. Yes. Yeah, that's yeah. true. It's weird yeah. that it ended up feeling like it influenced other games that were not necessarily... It, it became a bridge, almost, because I think that... Skyrim is what leads the Assassin's Creed team to start thinking about things like Origins and Odyssey, which are very RPG like. Uh, same. I would with say it was games. Witcher Three. It was yeah. Witcher Three. Well, I mean, Witcher Three as well. But like, I think Skyrim is what started the wheels turning for a lot of people to be like, "Oh, this is 
a pretty actiony RPG with open world stuff in it. And as they made more open world games in that decade, they were like, well, how do we make these bigger? Let's look at mm-hmm. that Skyrim game that Todd Howard keeps selling us. And, <laughs> and it works. It works well. And Breath of the Wild as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, for sure. But the 2010s, when we look back, what is the lasting legacy of the 2010s? Do we have any thoughts on that one? I guess for me, the, when I think 2010s, I think live service games and I think open world games. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think of PC kind of coming, kind of made its big comeback after the big town turn of the 2000s. And now the PC is inarguably a more important platform than ever because it's the hobbyist. It's a hobbyist platform mm-hmm, mm-hmm. for games at this point. You can, can either buy a console, you can play a mobile game. That's the most accessible way to access games these days. You can buy a console if you want to go step up. But PC is defiantly for the hardcore. And hey, hardcore gamers like RPGs. So what do you want? But what do y'all think is the legacy of the 2010s? I, I'd just say a massive desire for scale and then learning the ramifications of what happens when you make games to that scale. I feel like a lot of that last decade and even parts of this one have been contending with the scale of game development and how it's exponentially grown over the years. And I think games like Disco Elysium are almost direct responses to that. Same as Dark Souls, like we talked about before, where they're they're looking at other ways that can keep things to a better scale or or at least not just bloom out to the levels that not everything needs to be the wild hunt not everything needs to be skyrim but for a while everyone was trying to be and there are some places still trying to do that genshin impact still trying to do it but um it i i think in that quest for size and and the all-consuming ur game you also saw a lot of small games find steam that they wouldn't have otherwise through avenues of, of sharing online, digital distribution, social media that have let those games succeed where they might not have otherwise. And where those games would have normally just been message board stories shared around on forums and things like that. Now things like undertale spread to an even greater degree. And, and that's cool to see. Even if a game gets memed, it's going to sell. Yeah. Untitled goose game. <laughs> oh, um, untitled goose game. What a video game. I'm also curious what, so we've looked back across the whole arc of RPG history on the PC, the highs and the lows, the moments when we thought PC RPGs were going to go away forever. And I'm curious, what did we learn as a family here on Acts of the Blood God? I guess what I've learned since starting to look really hard at PC RPGs. So this is what I'm going to say about PC RPGs. I don't have a natural background in PC RPGs because I didn't play them uh, growing up. And when I, came into the games industry, I came into it basically fresh, like learning about all these PC RPGs I had never really heard of before. And so I had to start kind of from the ground up and start experimenting and playing with them and learning about all the history. And the one thing that I've kind of learned often is that PC RPGs have been consistently ahead of the game in almost every respect. And that ideas that we think came around, you know, in the 90s and the 2000s are often much older than we think. And that goes back to games like Ultima and such. So that's that's my that's what I learned from the PC RPG quest. I just learned that it was a good time for creators to take back some of their own like kind of destiny with the help of Kickstarter. And even though it didn't work out all the time, a lot of times it did work out for the best. Like Undertale, I think that alone is is stands a testament of how 
like effective it was as a, as a platform and just you know the 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 PC RPGs of the 2010s weren't really my forte because I was always you know on the consoles at the time but even looking back at the history it's still fascinating like just there's a lot of not well a couple of really good ones like a, a couple of really good uh, videos that will take you through the fall and rise of Final Fantasy fourteen, and even if you're not a fan of the game, it's a really fascinating listen. Like they're always worth looking at just to see where Square Enix's, uh, I guess, what I don't know what the word I'm looking for here is like you know their bravado just kind of like took them for a ride because they said we can have a flower pot made out of ten thousand polygons, and it it just all went to hell from there. And it's just such an incredible look into how a game can be salvaged and how like bad it could get before it could actually be like you know uplifted to, to the highest high so i would honestly recommend that to anyone again fan or no land final thoughts yeah um i i really think um the the theme i would focus on and i sort of talked about this as being a biopic where where bioware is is on the downfall from where they were in 2010 and and from software is on the rise um and sort of the theme I identify in there is, uh, and I think, Kat, you actually had a tweet that encapsulated this really well that I've quoted in a couple of things that I've written. Uh, the idea that games that maybe make you feel a little bit uncomfortable aren't a bad thing, um, which I think spoke to, you know, not that they shouldn't be approachable, but that, you know, that if they if they can put you through a little bit of difficulty and make you kind of work on their terms a little bit, that that can sometimes be beneficial. Um, I don't remember exactly what the wording of, of the, that original tweet was. Um, and, and that sort of being the counterculture or the antidote to um, sort of this mass corporatization and loot boxification and DLC and live serviceification. Is it like, we've got this weird, uh, you know, series of Japanese RPGs that are like, they're kind of about the Buddhist cycle of rebirth. And they're kind of about, I don't know, like how you would, how you would look at original sin from a different cultural perspective, not original sin, mm-hmm. the game, mm-hmm. but there there's, there's weird pseudo psycho religious stuff going on it. Like they're not, they're not mass market games but they connected with so many people that sort of culminating with Elden Ring, they became one of the biggest RPG developers in the world. Um, And uh, feeding that desire for something that's just a little bit less like falls apart in your mouth because it was engineered to be as digestible as possible. Yeah. I think the, the love for dragon's dogma that is now pouring out after the announcement of the sequel is like proof enough that, people are really interested in these games that aren't going to necessarily be just catering to them in a lot of ways and be providing them with all these things and, and served up in the way that the service game does that stuff. Instead, it's this game that's going to be full of friction and friction is good. Like, like Mm -hmm. that's a good thing to have in a video game is to have that tug and that pull because otherwise like you're just kind of skating along and the only walls you run into are, pay us more money to get further down the slide. Mm -hmm. Uh, The slide doesn't feel fun that way. You need like a roller coaster has to have those moments of tension or else it's just all downhill and that gets boring after a while. So. And that's it for the PC RPG quest. Thank you so much for listening to our series. If you haven't listened to the previous ones, 
We did of mainframes and roguelikes, the golden age of RPGs, the rise of JRPGs, silver age of RPGs, PC98. We had a lot of great guests. We had Jeff Green talking to us about MMOs, uh, and also Amy Dunham. And yeah, it was a great little series. I encourage you to go check it out as a companion to the console RPG quest, which we might revisit at some point. But in the meantime, hey folks, it's the summer of Gundam. We have all been hanging out and watching Gundam, talking about it. There's a big channel over on the Discord. Everybody's been having a lot of fun. I've been watching the OG Gundam 0079 uh, for the first time, really, since maybe 2008 when I was living in Japan. Um, I've, I've watched the, the first movie several times, but this is the first time in quite a while since I've watched the original series. And I gotta say, like, I was kind of taken aback by how dark it is and um, how much it goes out of its way to make it feel like this is a, a real war that's being fought. And uh, the thing that I like about the original series is that all of those little details uh, come to life. So it, it's been it's been very enjoyable, I think, to go back to the original Gundam. But Nadia, you're watching Iron-Blooded Orphans. Yeah, I, I wrote an essay here. Um... Let me let me just pull it up. <clears throat> yeah, basically, I was watching uh, Zeta, which was good, but I'm just like, I'm not on it. super duper invested. And here's the thing: it's like, yeah. maybe it's a little too old. Maybe the animation is just not really what I want. But I went to, I switched to Iron Blooded Orphans, and just immediately, I'm like, okay, I'm really into this. Maybe it's because the mm. animation's slicker. I like the idea of the characters being these trodden upon kids who actually do feel like they're coming out of poverty and are like just abused mm. and just downtrodden and here's something i wrote <clears throat> i said gundam like all shonen is five soberingly adult lessons duct taped together and surrounded by a lot of monsters and mechs so i may as well watch the anime and play the games that deliver the messages in a way that i enjoy i for example shadowbringers and endwalker are heartbreaking and terrifying respectively but the core messages aren't anything that i haven't seen or heard before in uh, i mean i swear to god I've, I've seen endwalker's actual plot in a Mega Man battle network six game so it's all about how it's delivered. I just happen to prefer the way that um, Iron-Blooded Orphans delivers this whole thing. I know we're going to get war is bad. How are you going to tell me war is bad? <laughs> Jazz it up a little bit here, people. Oh, one's a little modern. Wait, Zhuzh wait, wait, it up a war, little bit. Yeah. War is bad? Folks, I think war I is thought bad. of the cool robots. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'd Deuce never heard the front. <laughs> it's how bad far out did here. You get, oh. How far did you get in Zeta Gundam? I got like a like a four episodes in or so. Like I did see some it's, cool stuff. I will I will I will go as far as to say that Zeta Gundam gets off to a slow start. Yeah, and... but I, I did see some cool stuff. Like I like Camille. Like he looked like he was gonna blow some yeah. shit up and he was just he just started off angry and he got angrier as things progressed. Sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it yeah, was great. Zeta Gundam Zeta Gundam is a little bit of a mess, I think. Have, having rewatched it at a certain point. And I, I don't think the first like half dozen episodes or so really do it any favors unfortunately i think it really starts to pick up once you go to earth but mm. my philosophy mm. at this point is okay so summer of gundam i am going to watch what i want i yeah. am not going to concern myself no with the uc sure. i'm not going yeah i'm just going to be like hey 
here's a cool mech with a pretty good message attached to it. I'm in. I was even thinking I might go back and rewatch Gundam Wing so I can make fun of it on the show. I don't know. I just want to have fun with this. So I never thought that the original Gundam was exactly your speed, Nadia, because I mean, Gundam at its heart is a it's a war drama. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? it is. So and I you don't strike me one. as a type who likes war dramas, I guess. So but you like the original. I like the original. My husband and I watched together. We we thought it was good. I really liked the um, the origin. That was really well done. I thought so. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, just said I was like, oh, well, it's kind of more of the same of the first I mean, one, frankly. Consider so, consider skipping directly to Char's counterattack. Do not pass go. Do not collect two hundred dollars. Yeah, I, I, I like Char. I like some of these characters very much, and it's just I want to see them in their best possible light. Frankly, you don't really need Zeta or Zeta, double Zeta to enjoy Char's counterattack. Shout out to, I'm blanking on the name of the captain from Zeta, but he has the cutoff sh- uh, sleeves I haven't seen since the 80s, and I love that shit. Uh, yeah, him. He's cool. But yeah, so. It's a good look. Thank you. Oh. I, I really like Iron-Blooded Orphan so far. It's pretty much what I expected, but that's okay with me. Len, uh, are you a Gundam person? So this is the only thing that's going to lose me more cred than saying Persona 5 oh, is my favorite RPG. Hot take, let's go. The only, the only Gundam I have seen was Gundam Wing yes. on Toonami yeah. in, yes. in the 90s. Um, I've, I actually, I think I've seen like maybe part of an episode of the original because I do like war dramas. Mm. And people have told me that, oh, you would probably like the original Gundam. It's, it's very much up your alley. Same way they keep trying to get me to watch Legend of Galactic Heroes, which mm, I'm sure mm. I would love both. I just need to overcome my like natural inertia to actually start a new show. That's yeah, that's a big um, thing. Yeah, I was I was a Gundam Wing kid. Um, I I've uh, I've I've uh, seen that that one many times. And uh, if I had more money, I would maybe get into some Gunpla because mm. I I did re- watch like a very long YouTube episode about like the history of the hobby and all the different like grades and stuff. And I'm like, that seems like something I could do when I'm like, I work on the computer and I do all my recreation on the computer. Maybe I should get away mm, from exactly more. for sure. So <laughs> I feel the same. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, Nadia, if you're going to watch the AU shows, you should watch Gundam double O or something. It's really good. Yeah. If I, whatever, I'm going to be a Gundam hobo from his, this point on, if I see Gundam something hobo. looks good, I'm going to pick <laughs> it up. Like, I think you'd like G Gundam. That's the battle yeah. anime that one, one, the I tournament arc one. I have yeah. seen parts of that. I have seen some yeah, of that. Parts of that. I, I think I've yeah. seen all I need to see. I've seen at least an episode mm-hmm. of that. Yeah. I saw the Canadian and I was like, okay, I'm good. <laughs> if if I'm learning anything, so I rewatched like a huge part of the UC uh, a few years ago. And what I learned was that kind of the OG Gundam, the original show, was really, really, really good. And then a lot of the other shows kind of struggled to follow in its footsteps or hit right. too many of the same beats um, and that kind of thing. And even though they keep moving the timeline forward, um, I mean, Gundam Unicorn, I think, is certainly really, really good and does a great job of bringing it all together. Um, is it worth watching all of Zeta and Double Zeta just to get uh, that satisfaction? I don't know. I do know that the OVA is like 0080 and 0083 and 8th MS team are certainly worth watching. And they're short. So I have to yeah. say one problem I do wind up with is the names are always so weird. They just don't really like Argo Bongo Weinstein. It's like I, I can't remember anybody. <laughs> yeah. You don't love Ongo Bongo Weinstein? <laughs> that's, that's one of the best Ongo ones. <laughs> Amazing. I can't remember who you are. Uh, okay, Boingo. good. Iron-Blooded Orphans. Everyone's name is like four letters. Mika. Okay, I can remember that. I'm good. 
it's like I, I so I will say that for my Gundam, I went through a whole thing of like just trying to figure out what apps can play what on my PlayStation. It was a whole fiasco this week, so I didn't get much classic Gundam watch, but I did go and watch some IBO because I wanted to watch some some Gundam, and that is like it, it is it is Top Gun in a way because it, it's just like one of the earliest episodes is all the boys are just shirtless and, and doing like war games practice <laughs> out in the field. And the other boys are like looking at them. They're like, I hope we get to pilot those one day. And then the the oldest boy is like, get back to work, learning how to deploy mines. And they're like, okay. <laughs> and it's, it's so like subtext is for cowards in a way that I really like and uh, just wears its heart on its sleeve. But then Mika is such a great, pilot because of just how no shits given he is like he's just like okay who am i taking out next and his his gundam is the sickest gundam it is the coolest gundam i've ever seen in my life so uh yeah ibo rips it just occurred to me ibo also came out probably around the time twilight mania was a thing so everybody has no shirts nobody's nobody's got the shirts going on they're just like uh, we yeah, got things in our back. So we can't they're, they're a bunch shirts. of like they're a bunch of like teenage boys who spend all their time around teenage boys, and then a princess shows up that they all have to protect. So they're all walking around with their shirts off and flexing and just doing dude stuff. It, it, it's a great series for guys being dudes, you know. Yeah, <laughs> guys, what's better than this? Just guys being dudes. I do like how they just kind of plop. The they plop a white savior right, right there, like right there. Like, oh, this chick thinks she knows everything. <laughs> And the, the hand scene where it's like, well, I didn't shake your hand because my hand was dirty. And it's like, well, we're not equal after all, are we? And I was like, oh, he got you there, didn't he? <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, that was our Summer of Gundam Watch. And now it's time for Nadia or Eric, question mark, to take us home. <laughs> I don't know which of you, but uh, wh- oh, which of you are going to be taking us home? Uh, it's a double sin. Uh, Eric and double I were talking sin. a while back on um, Twitter about the games you kind of play as a teenager that are really stupid. Like, mm-hmm. what 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 started this? Someone asked on Twitter fugitive like, about fugitive. was the one that started yeah. this. So stop us if you've ever played this game before, where one person or several people go and hide around a neighborhood or a large area, and then. Uh, there is a car that is looking for them and they can drive around and they have to like shine their headlights on the people as they are trying to run and hide and stuff like that. Uh, That was Fugitive, which I did not play exactly that. I don't know if we did car one time, but we got in trouble. There was like a, there was some, some happenstances that happened. So we didn't really try that again, but we did do like neighborhood wide hide and go seek all the time. And um others flashlight tag things like that um we we went down a rabbit hole of just games that we played when you're bored in a town and you don't just want to go to the mall or whatever (laughs) yeah i called it i meant no shade but i said that sounds like a game that that you play when you grow up in a town that has one walmart and that's what you do on a friday night or that or go to the walmart but yeah i didn't play fugitive or anything quite like it probably because growing up in the city nobody had cars they were too expensive and uh mm-hmm. we had the ttc if we wanted to go anywhere anyway so we no one really bothered but i did have 
I did go out with my brother's friends once in a while and like we'd go like laser tag or whatever and we'd play a game called Invisible Raccoon and that was basically just you'd be driving down the road and suddenly the driver would scream Invisible Raccoon and swerve really sharply and hopefully buckling up was good enough but a lot of the time you, you, you just kind of slammed your head against the wall in one case I was in the back of this I think it was a station wagon for Christ's sake and so I wasn't really buckled up and I just slammed my head against the side uh-huh. of the window really uh-huh. hard playing Invisible Raccoon. But we had a, did you do fire drill where you stop at a stoplight and the driver yells fire drill and puts the car in park and everybody gets out and runs around and has to sit in a different no. seat? Okay. Fire drill is a fun time. Uh, no. <laughs> um, so stupid. Why would you play yeah. That? I mean, there's so many dumb things. We were getting stories on Twitter of people playing school-wide games of Assassin where you you would have like targets that you had to take out over the course of a week and you'd have to like squirt them with a squirt gun or like do the handshake but like scratch the Have you ever done that where you like handshake but you scratch the inside of the wrist like yeah, that? Yeah, I haven't done that in years so um, I can't remember what that was about. Yeah. And then that turned into us discussing like mafia, if you've ever played that where you all sit around in a circle and play an old game oh, of mafia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we used to play that. Did you but ever play? That's what um, we called Among Us back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> you damn Before you had your Lovely video games. Among Us, yeah. Uh, yeah. But um, did you call it um, uh, Ding Dong Ditch or Nikki Nikki Nine Door? Because I always call it Ding Dong Ditch. Nikki. Ding yeah, Dong Ditch. I, maybe it's an American versus Canadian thing. So it was always Nikki Nikki Nine Door growing up. Kids with a bat who kept Ding Dong ditching me. <laughs> I was like, I was like 16 at the time and I was like trying to play Call of Duty Modern Warfare. This is the most like high school Eric story you'll ever hear. <laughs> and some kids kept ding dong dishing my house and they were so bad at hiding that the third time I saw them coming up because I was sitting by the window and I had a baseball bat and I was like, you get them out of here. And they all just took off. This is shit like, you can't do because <laughs> everyone has doorbell cameras now. It's like uh, growing up, we had to oh, grow yeah, out of yeah. prank calls really fast because they got gotten 4k. Yeah. That's, that's not a good Yeah, gotten 4k. My idiot yeah. brother once did a, uh, uh, a crank call to some friend's mother. And next thing my mom knows the cops are at the door. And it's like, he called this woman with who had called display. This was 2000 and freaking two. Like, <laughs> come on, you idiot. But yeah, I, some of it is probably like it's not like where I grew up was a small town by any means, but there is just this level of like, I don't know, you're bored on a Saturday night and you're high school aged and you're just going to go do something stupid because you can, because at this point you think you're immortal. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> so plenty of jumping fences to get into pools and oh, that's playing dangerous hide and go see. Well, yeah, only if you get caught. Yeah, I'd be very serious about that if I had a pool. Um, oh, no, this was not somebody else. Like, we're not going to sneak into somebody's house. That's amateur hour. That's you, you sneak into the community. Freaking answer is amateur yeah. hour. Yeah, you, you go to the you go to the rich neighborhood and sneak into their pool. Um, yeah, yeah, you just. Of course, you know, that's growing stuff. up in Canada. You had just a plain old game of throwing snowballs at cars and one or two things had happened. The car could like just kind of keep driving by and say, you know, the stupid freaking kids or the car could stop and everyone would take off because here comes a really angry Karen that you threw <laughs> snowballs at her car. Yeah. We, we had yeah. that. We had that in Colorado. Yeah. Cause you get some good snow in Colorado. So, yeah. It's uh, perfect. We get a lot. We yeah. got a lot of snow when I was so up. Yeah. when I was in band in high school, um, there was, there was one night at the football game where all of a sudden the director gets on the speaker and says tubas 
stop dangling things over the stands. And all of us were very confused. And we turned around and realized the tuba players had brought a fishing line and had attached a dollar to the end of it. And we're dangling it all the way down. If you've been to a Texas high school football game, you know how big those stands are, like how large yeah. they are. So they were dangling this dollar all the way down to the ground below. They had a lot of fishing line and they would just Apparently. wait for people to come by and try and pick the dollar up and then yank it up <laughs> and, and laugh at them. <laughs> and one of them got really mad and went to the band director and was like, they're, they're messing they're, they're with people me down my dollar. there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my, one of the classic. nicest, most beautiful things I ever saw was um, I was coming home on the city bus. I was at like, you know, the front end of the bus and the driver was talking to someone else there and he's kind of absently chatting away as he opens up the doors and the snowball comes flying in and hits him. And it's a beautiful mm-hmm. shower of, of sunlight and, and ice crystals just hanging in the air, like some Final Fantasy CGI shit. It was absolutely gorgeous. <laughs> and then the idiot gets on the bus. And of course, the bus driver is like, "What are you do? What is your problem? You would, God, you hit me with a snowball and you get on the bus." And thankfully, he was just like, "You know, just get on the bus and shut the fuck up, sit down." So that was just thankfully didn't hold anyone up. But what kind of, are kids stupid or something? Like, are they brain dead? We I don't th- understand how we think we're immortal. Your brain does at that not age. your brain does yeah. not finish developing until you're twenty five. Well, clearly, you're going to throw bu- snowballs mm-hmm. at the bus driver. Um, uh, Len, I have a question for you in terms of, you know, you grew up in Colorado. How quickly did they ban snowball fights on your school campus? Because it happened real fast when I, I was a kid. I, I don't think they ever like formally banned it, but we had like the school district I went to had like this really strict um, nonviolence policy, especially after. I mean, right. The, it gets kind of dark, but yeah, 1999, mm. we all know what oh, happened in Colorado yeah, right, around of then. Um, and they got really, really strict about any kind of like fighting or mm. bullying mm. after that, where like you would just basically be suspended right away if you were caught, you know, even horsing around Jeez. the wrong way. So. No, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the, the reason they banned it for us <laughs> so, is because people kept putting chunks of ice in the snowballs and uh, that turned bad real fast. Yeah. Yeah. Toronto's very time. good for there ice because they melt and refreeze. Yeah, no, pretty much. We also weren't allowed to play Red Rover because things happened to kids' arms with that game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep, that got banned. Yeah, at my school as well. Childhood's fun. Childhood's fun. It is, it is. And it's an innocent good time. (laughs) It's good old-fashioned clean fun. (laughs) Just throw an ice at Family friendly for the whole whole family. Uh Yeah, yeah. And on that note, that's... Is the end of this week's episode of Axe of the Blood God. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoy the show, please go leave us a review on the podcatcher of your choice. Helps the show and it brightens our day. Follow me on Twitter at the underscore catbot. Nadia is at Nadia Oxford. Follow me. Or you can follow Eric at CMC and Len Hafer is on Three Moves Ahead. Go check out that wonderful, wonderful podcast. As a reminder, we are having a special 24-hour charity stream on July 9th and 10th, benefiting Trans Lifeline. We have so many awesome things prepared, including multiple live episodes and our Nuzlocke run and Shredder's Revenge and Nadia playing Dragon Quest 3. It's going to be a blast. Come and join us on twitch.tv slash bloodgodpod. And keep an eye out for the Dragon Quest Eleven Pantheon, which is out on Wednesday. We'll be back next week, as always, to talk more about the genre that we love. But until then, for Nadia, Eric, Len, and myself, happy adventuring. <laughs> <laughs>